Hey there. We're glad you've found the Who, What, When podcast of the Chippewa Valley Museums. You can find even more history and interesting stories by checking out Chippewa Valley Museum on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Olaf. And I'm Jody. And today we're speaking with the Honorable Tom Barland, who is a retired judge and um, one of the Barland family that has been in Eau Claire almost since it was first settled. And so today um, we are going to talk a little bit about Pearl Harbor because, Tom, as I've heard, you were present there that day. Um, can you tell me how you ended up being in Hawaii for Pearl Harbor Day? <clears throat> my, I was born in San Francisco. My okay. uh, father worked uh, for the Army as an electrical engineer designing power lines. And uh, he worked, the Army transferred him to Schofield Barracks, which is on the island of Oahu, uh, actually in the very center of the island. Okay. And um, how old were you then in 1940? It was December 7th, right? 1941? Well, we went there in 1936. 1936. Okay. So you were what, six years old or so? I was six years old at that time. So then you would have been around 11 when Pearl Harbor happened. at the time of the Japanese attack. Okay. So um, let's go ahead and we, let's get started about your memory, talking about your memories of that day. Um, what was your first indication or where were you at when you first realized that something was wrong? Well, um, I, I was getting ready for Sunday school. Okay. And um, suddenly heard a great many airplanes and looked out the back door window and saw that there were just scores of airplanes uh, flying this way and that way. And um, my mother also looked and I told my mother that uh, those planes did not look familiar to me. Mm. And I was, I knew my airplanes, uh, both Navy and Army. And uh, I said, uh, they're not, they're not flying in a normal fashion. They're, uh, and she said, well, they're just simulating a fight, and oh. they were Navy planes. And I said, no, they're, they're not U.S. Navy planes. And uh, I could see smoke coming up from Wheeler Field, which was just, um, uh, the hangars were about a mile from our house. And there was also smoke coming up from Schofield Barracks, uh, which was right next to the airfield, and Schofield Barracks had the only fully armed uh, division at that time, 25,000 men. And I asked uh, my mother if I could go and check on it further. She said, sure. So I got on my bicycle, <laughs> and uh, I started going in the direction of um, uh, the Wheeler Field, and I'd gone only a block and a half when I knew something was terribly wrong, and I, I stopped. And I stopped um, looking up the street, which is Kamehameha Street, the uh, most significant street in Waiawa, where okay. we were living. And um, I could see the planes were circling. Uh, they'd go over Wahiawa, and uh, they would uh, fly over towards Wheeler Field, and I could see them drop uh, uh, 
bombs and oh. see the smoke coming up. And um, I was uh, in a, I was really quite worried. Of course, yeah. And um, I decided I wouldn't go any farther. And uh, while I was observing that, um, a plane, and by the way, the planes are just over the treetops. Mm. Uh, and we, they were so low, we could see the expression of the pilots' oh faces and the gunners' faces. So you remember seeing their faces? Uh, beg your pardon? You remember seeing their faces. That's just... Oh, yes. Uh, that's amazing. Yes, they weren't uh, any higher than this building. Oh, wow. They were just scraping okay. roofs, practically. And um, so I was standing there, and I saw a... Uh, and there were bombers and dive bombers. There were several kinds of planes were flying by, and I, I saw this one plane flying, which had a uh, big... Uh, black uh, insignia on the side of the plane with what looked like um, a German cross and um, the plane looked like a German uh, junker uh, dive bomber and uh, I thought to myself uh, the Germans must be involved in this okay. as well and uh, as I was watching one came by me and uh, the, the dive bombers had one pilot and um, the other bombers had a pilot and a gunner um, and of course their cockpits were open mm -hmm. uh, to the air and I saw the gunner on this one uh, plane f flying uh, uh, well was, we were pretty close I mean I did and he turned his machine gun around and shot at me. Oh, no. And uh, the bullets uh, hit around my feet, just all like somebody had dropped a string of firecrackers oh, at no. my feet. Hmm. And it, it didn't touch me, And I, uh, but I was getting to be very scared, and I pulled my... Um, uh, bike up on the sidewalk. I, I was in the street initially, and I was debating what to do. Um, I uh, I could hide under uh, or go up uh, a, an enclosed stairway and get out of sight completely, but I, I wanted to also see the action. Of course, yeah. So I just backed up against the building uh, at this uh, corner and uh, continued to watch, and then a couple of um, uh, uh, man, young men of ch Japanese origin came up, and one of them said that so-and-so uh, said he has a b bullet in his stomach, and he was pointing up the street. And uh, that person uh, later died of it, uh, I found out, and he was 19 years old, and he was waiting to catch a ride to go fishing that morning. Okay. And um, while this was going on, a, a white man came running from the direction of Wheeler Field and said, this is war, and he said we should take cover, and he kept running up the street. To warn others, probably? Uh, well, uh, I don't know. He just disappeared, and I... 
and um, then uh, later there was a car that was stopped in the main street and was surrounded by uh, men, and uh, I assume that somebody in that car had been shot, and um, just at that time a plane came right down Kamehameha Avenue, just um, uh, above the treetops, and um, shot at that uh, vehicle, oh, no. and uh, all the men uh, ran in different directions, and but uh, as far as I could tell, uh, none of them were hit. And finally, the um, planes stopped. They just, you know, they just disappeared. And uh, and before I headed back to the house, um, a car drove up, um, which I later determined had the man, young man who was shot up the street in the back seat okay. of the car. I didn't dare look into the car, but the couple of other um, men did. And uh, then I headed back home and I told my parents that uh, we were at war and these were Japanese airplanes. And uh, they didn't believe me. They no. said, this is just maneuvers. And my mother said they uh, they were using Navy planes and had painted over uh, the uh, American insignia and, and uh, had put on a Japanese uh, uh, insignia. I said no, they, they were they they were Japanese and that there uh, I knew of no planes that fit the, their description that were American. So my father and whole family got in the car, uh, got in with them, and um, drove in the direction of Wheeler Field and Schofield Barracks. And uh, my school I went to was Leilahua School, and uh, that was right where the uh, Schofield Barracks and Wheeler Field joined each other. And there was a gate there that went into uh, both the facilities. And um, as we were approaching that gate, we saw uh, teachers from uh, the Leilahua School uh, in a roadway parallel to the um, Wheeler Field. And um, we went over and they said we're at war. Uh, and they were shooting and they said that they were lying on, uh, on the ground uh, next to uh, giant trees and that the bullets hit the trees just above their heads. Mm. Well, that still didn't persuade them. No, so your we, parents? We went over to go into Scofa Barracks at Wheeler Field, and there was an MP, military police, uh, at the gate. He was crying. Mm. And he said, we're at war. He said, go back. Only then, then did they realize that what was happening, and so we went back home. My father, who was the superintendent of the Sunday school, um, and the church was just uh, half a block from our house across the street, uh, he went over to turn back any students that might have come, and um, then suddenly the planes appeared again, and they were um, dropping, you can see them dropping bombs on mm -hmm. Uh, Wheeler Field, 
and uh, we stood in the doorway and watched, watched all it. this. We had a good view because our house was elevated a little bit. And uh, then I noticed a plane extra low, just barely by inches. And these are all otherwise one-story houses okay. that were near us. Mm -hmm. And um, they were coming right at the house. And then suddenly it turned and uh, headed away from the house and it turned upside down and then it disappeared uh, below the trees. And uh, then I saw smoke coming up from the, I knew it had crashed, uh, coming up for the rest of the day. That was one of the suicide bombers then, probably? Well, the, uh, uh, I wouldn't call them suicide bombers. They or the kamikaze is that what they called them? No, well, that they—that's uh, uh, suicide. But the kamikaze word was not used until later in the okay. war. Okay. Okay. And it wasn't used at that time. Uh, and my father um, decided he had to get to work, so he got in the car and went over to the Schofield barracks to go to work, and, um, and then the planes all disappeared. And um, we uh, heard on the radio that um, we, of course, turned on the radio to <laughs> see what was going on. And we heard that we had been attacked. And we uh, were instructed that um, uh, a emergency declaration had um, uh, required that uh, we not leave our houses. And we couldn't. Excuse me. <coughs> we couldn't leave our houses for a week, and we had to keep all lights out after dark. And uh, we decided the houses were, you know, they were they were tropical houses, so there were no insulation, and and there, if there's a crack in the board, you could see through to outside. So. Uh, the houses weren't much protection, and our house did have a lower level, um, which had uh, cement um, a foundation about uh, three feet high, and we took our cots down into that area, planning to uh, uh, stay there and sleep there at night, and um, we. When night came, of course, we were sleeping, or trying to sleep, mm -hmm. and around, um, oh, I would say it was about seven or eight in the evening, we heard a great deal of shooting, and we could see that was coming from Pearl Harbor, which was about 17 miles from where we were uh, living, and we were at an elevation of 800 feet above sea level in Wahiawa while Pearl Harbor was right down at sea level. And um, there were just, it was like fireworks just going on for about 15 minutes. Mm. And then it quieted down and we tried to sleep. And then in the morning about five, it was still dark. Uh, there was more shooting and, and um, uh, shells being fired and searchlights uh, sweeping the skies down in the area of Pearl Harbor. Well, 
um, very recently, uh, I'm, I'm writing a book on it and, and doing research, and just recently I um, learned that um, the airplane carrier Enterprise fortunately was out at sea, uh, so it was not harmed by the Japanese. But some of its planes that had been on patrol were coming back to refuel at Hickam Field, which is right next to Pearl Harbor. The um, and those American planes were shot down. Oh no! By our own people. Okay, I had never heard that. Yeah. That's too bad. Um, I have a question for you. Um, when you when that you said that one of the pilots was trying to shoot at you and the bullets landed down by your feet. Yes. Um, do you think he was intending to shoot you, or was he just kind of messing around with you? I don't know. It's an interesting question. It, um, at the time, I was convinced that he was trying to shoot at me, and um, but uh, it could be that he was trying to frighten me. Right. I don't. You don't know for sure? I don't know, but I can tell you that they were hit between my legs. So oh, no. It was that close. That mm. close. So yeah. if he was just was, trying to scare you, he I was taking was a, a risk. I, I thought it was a miracle that I wasn't yeah. uh, hit. Oh, yes. Right. Did you tell your parents about him shooting at you? Oh, and, yes. and they still didn't believe? They, yeah. Okay. That's right. <laughs> okay. So the, um, we, um, we continued to have blackouts every night. Um, and actually, they had blackouts uh, throughout until the war was over sure. in the islands. So that's uh, that's it in a nutshell. In a nutshell, yes. So we can start asking you so more questions. Yes. Go ahead, Olaf. So I, the, the 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 sort of history of blackouts is really and in, is intriguing to me. So like in in Britain, I believe they you know they they during the war you know, they took the lights off the trains and they painted all the engines black so they couldn't be seen how did people i mean what was your experience of adjusting to sort of the world of blackout was it was it well we all knew it had to be done and um we um we had um we put up uh, black shades over all our windows uh, so that we could keep a light on at night. Um, the uh, and I might say that um, it was very dangerous to go out. Either well, we weren't allowed to go out at all for one week, but even so, it was very dangerous to go out, especially at night, because people were shooting at each other. Oh sure. Uh, there were uh, people were scared and and. Uh, there was a machine gun nest just uh, half a block from uh, our house in, uh, blocking the road, and that would every so often fire a string of, of bullets at whom okay. I, I don't know. I went to where the plane had crashed and uh, um, uh, several days later, and um, I picked up some souvenirs, uh, and the plane... Uh, almost hit the um, the electrical uh, center for the northern half of Oahu. My father said that had that been hit, it would have caught off all electricity to Schofield Barracks, to 
uh, Wheeler Field and and uh, to the town of Haliva and and the other settlements on the northern part of o Oahu. So uh, was so that maybe the target then of that airplane? Um, well, I don't think so. I think it, I think my hypothesis is that uh, the plane had been damaged and okay. the pilot was uh, deliberately crashing, probably trying to hit it, but hit the two houses right next to it okay. that burned and did not uh, damage the, uh, the transformer stations that were there. Just fortunate. Yes. Sounds like it could have been worse. Yes. Right. What kind of souvenirs did you find? Well, I found a parachute, part of a parachute. Uh, I found pieces of the plane. I found uh, uh, some bullets and uh, cartridges. Okay. And uh, I, I brought them back here with me um, when we came um, uh, to Eau Claire. And I was giving talks about uh, Pearl Harbor. Um, and I gave a talk in my history class in school, and I brought these things along uh, to pass out so they, so that the students could look at them. And um, unfortunately, uh, in the back row of the room, which was all boys, um, mm. they uh, they stole them. It disappeared, uh, huh? They, they disappeared. Oh, that's yeah. too bad. Yes. That's too bad. Did you have a question, Olaf? Um, I just sort of interested you when you said that um, uh, during the black, you, you know, it's, it's dangerous to go out during the blackouts that people were being shot at. Was uh, was that were there uh, sort of organized groups of people out patrolling, or was it private citizens who were hearing things and shooting at whatever was there, or what was, what was well, happening Well, I, I think very few private citizens had, uh, uh, had um, uh, guns. Had guns. You know, it's, it, uh, today everybody seems to have guns, mm -hmm. but back then in the 1930s and 40s uh, up to the war, uh, very few people had guns unless they were hunters. Mm, sure. And you know, even here in Wisconsin, you couldn't carry a rifle in a car. You had to put it in the trunk, and it had to be encased. That was the law. So that's back something then. that's changed. So it's um, no. We moved from a no-gun, essentially a no-gun environment, to one now that's dangerously uh, a gun environment. Sure. Yeah. It's, things have really changed, haven't they? Right. Um, when you said you weren't allowed to leave your house, and we have a little bit of experience with that, with COVID. Um, quarantine and everything, but did that mean no groceries? No, how did you feed yourselves, and how did you get diapers and well, things like that? We uh, we had been uh, warned by the uh, uh, by the military that um, we could come under attack. We had had before this. We had had one practice blackout for the whole island. Uh, we went drove up. A, one of the mountainsides to get a good view of of uh, the island and, and watch the lights turn out. And this was before the war. Okay. And we were told to stock up on goods, 
and we we had a lot of canned goods. So you had you uh, had a stockpile that yes, just uh, in the, case. Um, and then we, um, and after uh, you know after the shooting was over, we started to dig uh, a bomb shelter. It took us a long time to do it because the soil there was volcanic and mm -hmm. it's almost like cement, and it was hard hard work. Uh, but we. Um, uh, everybody was doing it. We had a, a L-shaped bomb uh, shelter. The l lower, the base of the L was the steps down into it, and then it turned, and um, we um, had the two sides w uh, with uh, seats for the family, and we had corrugated steel covered over the top, and then dirt for about two or three feet on top of that, and that was our uh, bomb shelter. shelter. How long did you stay in Hawaii through the duration of the war? No. Um, we stayed. Uh, the Army started to evacuate its personnel, that is, the uh, families. Um, and um, we stayed until... Uh, the end of June, and during that time, we had the Battle of Midway. Mm -hmm. That was the most decisive naval uh, battle of the Pacific War. There were other uh, significant battles, but Midway was the battle in which we sunk several of the Japanese carriers, practically knocked out the Japanese carrier fleet that time. And the planes that participated in the Battle of Midway were planes from uh, Oahu and from Wheeler Field, where we were. Oh, sure. And um, uh, the Wheeler Field had B-17s, which were four-engine bombers. Uh, they were used uh, uh, by the Americans in Europe as their prime, prime bombers. And um, I watched them come back from the Battle of Midway. They flew right over our house. Mm. I would wave at the pilots as they came in, and they'd wave back. Wow. Uh, and at that age, being an 11-year-old boy, that has to be even more memorable to well, you. Well, by that time, I was 12. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> the Battle of Midway was in June. Oh, and your birthday I, was between. Yes, Okay. that's right. So, but a twelve-year-old boy, you'd think even more so would be interested. Yes. Did how did you learn so much about airplanes? Well, you we had Army Field right next to us. Oh, so just observation. And, uh, well, and and you know we as a child that age we were fascinated with them, mm -hmm. and and all my friends were similarly interested. We could even distinguish the type of plane by the sound of its engines because. Wow. They, when they were uh, landing uh, at Wheeler Field, uh, my school um, uh, was right there, right, right, right next on, to the field, on the, on the boundary, and uh, so we could say, think to ourselves, there goes a P-40 that's landing, and then we'd look out the window and we could confirm or. Uh, or uh, correct our so almost our like guess. a pop quiz. Yes, that's <laughs> okay. right. Well, it looks like we're almost to the end of our time. So I wanted to ask you if there's anything that you haven't talked about yet that you just really would 
think it's important for us to know? That's a hard question to ask. But the, the, <laughs> well, you can say, oh, sorry, I, we don't have time for this. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, we were evacuated uh, in, in the end of June, early July, came here to Eau Claire. And by the way, when we were we were in a convoy, we had two old-fashioned World War One destroyers guarding us. There were seven wow. ships in the convoy. And at one time we stopped because they had observed some kind of a vessel way on, on the horizon. They weren't sure whether it was Japanese or American. And they stopped the whole convoy while one of our destroyers went over to check mm. it out. And people were scared to death. People were crying. Sure. That reminds me of a question I wanted to ask you, and that is, were, did you feel scared most of that time, or did it come and go? How, how did you feel during all this time? Well, uh, I wasn't. Yeah, we were we were scared, and we were th we thought the Japanese would come back and attack. And um, I I became a messenger boy. I was given oh. a helmet and a gas mask. Wow. We were taught how to use how gas to use masks. Them. Okay. And because I had a bicycle, my friends all did the same thing. It turned out where they never used us at all. But, okay. Uh, theoretically, but you were there in have. case they needed it. Okay. Yes. Well, I think we're about to the end of our time. Did you have anything else, Olaf, that you wanted to ask? Nope. All I don't, right. I, I, not anything that wouldn't take another 10, hour. 15 minutes, know? yes. Right. I so. know. It's fascinating. I, it's um, really a privilege for us to be able to talk to you, and I appreciate you spending your time with us here today. And I'm going to let Olaf take us out. So I'd like to thank you all for listening. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us for any reason, you can send an email to info at cvmuseum.com. And again, don't forget to check out Chippewa Valley Museums on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Here at Eau Claire Hometown Media, we're proud to have as one of our longest serving partners the fine folks with Stokes, Proc, and Munt Funeral Chapel and the Cremation Society of Wisconsin. Right here, Randy tells us why cremation has become so popular in our area, around 80% in Eau Claire County alone. Well, it takes a lot of stress off the family because, you know, if their parents come in and do that, uh, that's the ultimate gift they can give to their kids because so often people don't want to talk about this. When people prearrange and prepay, people like that. And it gives them financial security because that money is in an irrevocable trust. Nobody can touch it in, until the time of death. And then there's less of a financial burden on the kids. Because a lot of times their parents don't tell them what their asset situation is. You know, they keep that private.